This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you by PropSwap. Friends, my name is Paul Bruno, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario. You can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who is a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, partner, round two of these unusual playoffs came to an end and round three, in fact, got underway. We're into the conference finals now with four teams left. And uh, compelling news stories around those we'll get to in a bit. But before we get into that analysis, AJ, there was a second impactful deal, not so much for the player involved, but the fact that a team with a workhorse goalie who's expensive, they added a second expensive puck stopper. I'm talking about, of course, the Montreal Canadiens getting Jake Allen from St. Louis. The guy comes with a 4.35 cap hit. Uh, likely to be dealt next season at the trade deadline. They also acquired a seventh-round pick, and it cost them a third and a seventh going to St. Louis. This was a St. Louis getting in, getting rid of some money, too, because it's clear they want to accommodate their salary cap and pro- possibly bring back their captain. So we can get into all kinds of things here, AJ. But the thing that, that jumps out to me is I think the Habs do this deal because we're being told that next year's NHL schedule will be a, will be a content, condensed one where a lot of teams will be playing three games and four nights on a regular basis. So the backup goalies are going to need to play more. And I think we're going to see two goalie systems really being tested next season. What say you about all this, this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's certainly interesting to see, you know, you've got a, a Habs team here that's paying, you know, $14.5 million for, for two goaltenders. Um, that's that's pretty steep. Uh, I, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty confident that's the highest in the league um, right now, and you'll, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find a tandem that's more expensive. I think the kind of interesting things around this, one, can they make that work? to begin with, to be paying $14 million yeah. for two netminders with a flat cap next season. So we'll have to see. I mean, it's going to depend on, uh, you know, what kind of money they end up giving to Max Dome, who's going to be an RFA, a um, couple other guys on the contracts as well. And then, the you know, the other kind of ancillary part is, what does this mean for Charlie Lindgren, their, their backup? He's got a year left on, on a one-way deal. Um, so they'll have to use waivers if they're going to put them in the minors. Certainly there's a chance that somebody would try and try and snatch him up. I think the return, uh, for, for both sides is good here. Um, the blues get the cap space, get a pick. Montreal didn't need the pick. They've got three, uh, four picks in the first two rounds next year, including, including one from the blues as part of the Marco Scandella deal. They've got one from Chicago, uh, as part of the Andrew Shaw exchange. So, um, I think a good deal all around, but I agree, Paul, with the kind of condensed uh, potential schedule. Look, if we're going to start in December and we want hockey to end in its normal time of June, uh, you're going to have to play a lot of games and a lot of days. So having two good netminders is, is going to be key. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking we're not seeing the end of the line in terms of transactions by the Blues this uh, offseason because 
they've made it a no secret that they want to try and get Pietrangelo back in the mix, and that's going to cost them eight nine million dollars a year on on his extension. So there's some more work to be done there, and uh, that was also part of the motivation. But uh, I look at the Canadians' goaltending situation, and, and I think this that a year from now we're going to be talking about Jake Allen being dealt at a trade deadline, possibly, and and uh, then Montreal might have room to bring Charlie Lindgren back into the fold. But uh, for for Mark Bergevin, the Canadians' general manager, it's, it's all it's been all about accumulating draft picks and having that draft capital to uh, to do these kinds of deals and also improve the depth of the, the Canadians. So they're trying to do uh, a couple of things at the same thing at the same time. And uh, they're having some degree of success. If you look at wh- uh, how far the Canadians progressed in these playoffs, that was also a bonus for them. But uh, these are two teams with different agenda, and uh, that's why this came, came up to be a, a very interesting deal. And, of course, we have the goalie carousel. There's going to be a lot of goalie movement. Freddie Anderson, Matt Murray, the, the respective puck stoppers on our favorite clubs, are two of many that have been rumored in deals. And there's also a rumor that Murray might come to Toronto, AJ. So uh, what You're about... welcome to him, Paul. You're welcome to him. <laughs> Hey, uh, let's mention a bit about our, our new sponsor, PropSwap, AJ. Uh, th- this is a, a, a company that puts out opportunities for people to, to buy, buy into bets and maybe get a deal along the way. And I'll try to explain this as best as I understand it uh, with, with an example here uh, based on today's uh, prop sheets that they're being offered. Look, they've got Tampa as a favorite to win the Stanley Cup. The odds are in in the favor of of this club. The payout is seventeen hundred and sixty two dollars and fifty cents for a nine hundred and seventy five dollar ticket. So basically, a two to one payoff. But there's a bidding process in this case, and right now the bid is at seven fifty. So you get it at a discount, and that's really the deals are there to be made to give you better bets than you'll find anywhere else. And that's that's the premise of Prop Swap. Uh, the smart better knows where to find the best offers. Uh, before placing a bet that's why we always use prop swap uh, so I, I like this bet on the on the tampa situation i think of the four teams that are left they've sh- certainly had the best run in the postseason it looks like, like it's not stopping after the first game that they they pulled off a, a hammering of the islanders aj it's obvious <laughs> too that uh, prop swap customers always find the best odds because you're buying directly from other bettors just like yourself so come join us prop swap is the edge you've been w- searching for don't delay go to prop stop PropSwap.com today. AJ, uh, this is an interesting site. Uh, I've gotten into it a a little bit in the last few weeks to see the way it works. And uh, the idea is you can go shopping for a better deal than you'll find in in, uh, conventional betting circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great way to to see what you can get in terms of improving your odds. You know, obviously you can go on any uh, any of the various sites out there and, and find odds. But when you're bidding on, on a ticket and, and can grab a deal, um, certainly it's, it's a great way to, uh, to do that. But, you know, let's, uh, I think, uh, we'll let, uh, we'll let ourselves get into the rest of the show with a re- review of the previous rounds. We'll look forward to the next rounds. But of course, as always, I'll remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey, or just hockey in general, you can tweet at us, and we are happy to answer those questions. Or, or even if you want, uh, you know, if you want uh, to ask us what we think about Matt Murray to Toronto uh, and what sort of return on on value there, I'm sure you could stir up uh, some Twitter discussion if you poke the bear uh, for Paul and I on that on that discussion. So you can follow me at AJ Schultz two four, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman twenty two. Okay, AJ, you said we were going to review the conference semifinals. One of them was completed before we uh, before last week's show, and that was the Boston series against Tampa. We were both fooled by this one, where Boston looked to be getting their game in order uh, in this round, uh, before this round started, and we thought they'd, they'd take the take the uh, the lightning in a in a heated battle it didn't go nearly as long as we thought and and tampa prevailed but uh, they they had to wait on the sidelines and uh, it, certain, it certainly didn't hurt them in the first game of the final series which we'll get to in a moment but uh, let's go through the other three series that did play games last week we uh, look first at the new york islanders and philadelphia flyers the flyers were way ahead of the islanders about 10 points ahead of them in the regular season but very early on the islanders just continued to assert themselves with that defensive style of play and uh, they added some offense which was uh, more more visible as this series went on there were a couple of overtime games that uh, 
cut into an early Islander series lead here. The Flyers prevailed twice with back-to-back -back overtime efforts to really shift the momentum and credit for that largely due to Carter Hart. He was outstanding stopping 78 out of 85 shots over those two games and the Flyers got scoring from a number of sources. Scott Lawton, Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux actually had, has had uh, trouble in the, getting on track in this postseason but he did play well in uh, in uh, these last couple of games Provorov Hayes Hayes was has been a tower of power for them even JVR uh, factored into the scoring for them over those two games AJ on the other side the Islanders continued to get good work for Matt Barzal and Brock Nelson a pretty good one-two punch for their own, in their own right at center they scored in each of those two games in losing efforts uh, on the goaltending side Semyon Varlamov was shelled for a total of of it looks like nine goals against over those two efforts and it led to Thomas Grice getting the start in game seven with a shutout victory he prevailed only 16 shots on goal uh, he stopped them all Brock Nelson also factoring into that game so uh, the Islanders continue to get great work for them their pivots there and uh, they prevailed what were your overall observations as this series wound down AJ were you uh, as surprised as I was no, I mean, I wasn't. I, I, I picked the Isles in six, and, uh, you know, I, I expected them to come out on top. I think either one of those OT games could have ended uh, a different way and, and closed out that series. I think, you know, that you mentioned, you know, Giroud did get a goal in, in game five, but that was his only goal of the entire campaign. Couturier just had two along the way, and, and Travis Konechny didn't have any. Just seven seven helpers, uh, you know, which isn't, you know, seven helpers is great, but uh, they needed goals and they just weren't there. The Islanders started and ended the series with four nil shutouts. Um, so their they're big guys honestly let them down. And I, I think it's the same that we saw in, in Boston. Some of their bigger players let them down a little bit as well. Um, so it, it would know if I were a Philly fan, I would definitely be disappointed in my top guns. But certainly there's a reason for optimism. As you said, Carter Hart, a big part of why they even got this far. Um, and, you know, if, if it is a condensed schedule, look, they need to figure out how to get Brian Elliott back under contract. The two of them seem to work really well together. Um, so there, there's good thing, you know, more good things to come for the Flyers, I think, next season. Um, and it, it starts with the backstops. Yeah, and you know you make a great point there. Both of these teams are well positioned going forward, assuming that Elliott gets re-signed in there. Of course, the Islanders could flip flop between Barlamov and Grice going forward, uh, and and they've got quality net minding from both of them in this postseason. Obviously, as we've highlighted here, so it's a nice nice situation to have that depth in the nets to anchor the team at the at the critical position. On the Western Conference side, Vancouver gave Vegas a pretty good tussle too. And, uh, you know, you thought I thought you were looking very good with your pick of Vancouver in seven games here when it got to the final game. It looked like Vancouver had all the momentum when we left off last week. Uh, they were trailing three to one in the series, but they brought it brought it closer with Thatcher Demko coming out of nowhere for me to allow a total one goal against while facing 91 shots in those two games. Uh, outstanding efforts back to back by him and uh, really only one more goal against in the final game with two empty netters that, that three nothing score line uh, kind of flatters the uh the uh outcome actually uh, exaggerates the fact that it wasn't as widespread a, a difference as it showed but the shots on goal in that last game were a telling feature for me aj the knights really limited vancouver 14 shots against thatcher demko performing heroically added another 33 saves in that final game but uh, an early goal uh, a couple of minutes into the game was a, a deciding factor there it seemed so so uh credit to the knights for prevailing in this set uh, deep team uh, no question about that but really surprising me with their ability to shut the the, the canucks down in that final game i didn't really expect that 14 shots against that's remarkable yeah, I think, you know, we'll, we'll obviously talk more about Vegas when we, we talk about the next round. So I'll, I'll take a little bit of a, a focus on the eliminated team here, and that's Vancouver. Again, uh, reasons for optimism. I mean, your, your stud guy and Elias Pettersson showed up uh, with 18 points in 17 games. Ten of those came on the power play. Uh, JT Miller right there with him. I think the interesting thing is, you know, not to make this a, a netminder show, Paul, but uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is Demko really showed something here, I think, in the postseason. And the question is, 
is it worth it to sign Mark, re-sign Markstrom now? Uh, you know, maybe this has given them something to consider. Um, you know, he's he's certainly not going to be cheap. Um, he's a little obviously older. Um, you know, he's by no means on you know on the back half of his career, but he is thirty. Um, he's probably going to cost more than the three point six million they're paying him. So maybe they go with Demko as a starter and and potentially let Markstrom walk. Now, again, this kind of would go against what we were talking about earlier with the need for two netminders. So maybe it's a a split net situation between the two. Or maybe they go really crazy. They re-sign Louis Domingue and let him be the backup to to Demko. So I think they have options now that they didn't have before when it wasn't really clear what you had at the NHL level with Demko. He seemed to be a good prospect, prospect seemed like he's been coming along, but you have to see it at, at the top level here, and I, and I think we definitely did in this series. Yeah, and, and this makes me remember the series of articles that you did about the salary cap circumstances for teams, and uh, looking at the Canucks next year, they have committed $64 million out of the 81 possible. That gives them a lot of extra cap space and advantage over most NHL teams, and they could do a lot of damage in free agency if they choose to go that route to fill out their lineup of course they have 16 players under contract that means they get got to get six or seven more done and uh, a couple of those will be in-house for sure but they will have some flexibility to go out on the market where other teams won't and and who knows what kind of special deals they can concoct and i i i think it's a real advantage that they're looking at in the net mining circumstance with markstrom being a ufa at age 30 you mentioned domingue he's 28 years old so two years younger but doesn't have the resume that markstrom has i I would have rated markstrom one of the top 10 goalies in hockey this year aj and so if he becomes available there'll be some bidding for his services i don't know how much more of an increase he might get up to five million but there's not a lot of teams that can offer him much more than that next year so it's the wrong time for him to have an outstanding breakout campaign but uh uh, part of that goalie carousel that's going to be compelling viewing this off season with uh, not only the Canucks but a whole bunch of other teams there. And then uh, we look at the final series of the four. Uh, this one was an exciting one, AJ. Colorado and Dallas engaging in a, in several shootouts here. Credit to the the Stars' offense for going stride for stride with with. Colorado and then some and then prevailing in that exciting seventh game of 5-4 OT thriller and uh, Kiviranta a youngster came out of nowhere a rookie guy gets three goals in that final game with one of them being the OT winner credit for him but then I look at the the goalie lines here and you mentioned we don't want to turn into a goalie show but another great story Michael Hutchinson who was absolutely dreadful in his stop in Toronto this season. <laughs> he won a couple of games in this series for, for the Avalanche and, and brought them into a Game 7 circumstance. Couldn't hold the fort in the final game, looking more like he did when he was wearing the blue and white of the Leafs, uh, allowing five goals on 35 shots in that final game. There were a lot of statistical highlights. I'll leave it to you to cover a few of those and as, add your thoughts to uh, a surprising outcome for me. If you would have told me it was going to be a high-scoring series, I would have thought, no way Dallas would win. But uh, here we are with Dallas in the conference final. Yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll start off by, you know, talking about Kivaranta, who only got into that game um, because uh, Andrew Cogliano, who's who's an Ironman of sorts, I think the only two games he had missed during the regular season in the last couple of years were because of a suspension, um, not even due to injury. So, uh, Kiver, Kiveranta gets in. This is a guy, uh, first year playing in North America, played 48 games for the AHL affiliate in Texas, 12 goals, 11 helpers there. So, I mean, there, there certainly showed something there, but it wasn't a, a wow factor. Um, and, and that's what, you know, he did play 11 games earlier in the season with Dallas, got a goal in that one, but this is an unsigned player coming out of uh, you know, the European leagues there uh, and, and, you know, signed this contract in, in May of 2019, a, a two year uh, entry level deal. And, you know, seems to have certainly paid off here in the postseason. So I, I think he probably, um, you know, I don't know if he'll even play every game moving forward. Just, you know, if, if other guys get healthy, but he certainly staked his claim uh, with that OT winner and and, and such. So uh, really interesting on him. You know, we've seen from from Colorado, the injuries just became too much. You know, Landeskog going down, um, both their preferred choices of netminders were hurt. Eric Johnson was done. 
it just started to add up too much. And, it, you know, the latest news on Landeskog is that he probably would have missed all of uh, the, the rest of the playoffs. It sounds like that cut or laceration was, was pretty deep. And so he was probably done the rest of the way here. So kind of really disappointing. I, I, you know, I hate to make injuries the excuse. Uh, you know, next man up mentality is, is how it should be. Um, but I would have liked to see how this would have gone if Colorado had been a, a healthier team here. And you know what? Before we leave Colorado for this season, we got to give a nod to Nate McKinnon. He, for me, has made a strong case to be considered the best hockey player in the NHL at this time. Some ridiculous, almost fantasy-type numbers that he put up in the postseason with a 12-game point-scoring streak in the playoffs, which it's hard to do. And in within that, there were no fewer than eight multi-point games. So just ridiculous scoring exploits by a guy that's emerging as a, a face of the NHL. And uh, he does it the right way. This guy's an honest player, AJ. And uh, he, he does it at a high speed like, like Connor McDavid. And you can mention these guys in the same breath for my money. I, I, I don't think there's much of a difference between the two of them now with, uh, with the emergence of, of uh, McKinnon. I mean, he was a great player before this series, but he took it to a another level and it'd be great to see if he can sustain that level of performance next season and really challenge for the scoring leadership in the NHL in regular season I mean the unfortunate part for McKinnon is he's not even the best player from his hometown <laughs> if, for those of you that don't know uh, McKinnon from Cole Harbor Nova Scotia <laughs> yeah, Sydney Crosby's that, yeah. hometown uh, so yeah I mean what a great player, uh, and I, I agree. He's been the – I think he was the best player in the playoffs up to this point, although I think uh, Miro Heiskanen would, would you know maybe dispute that a little bit. He's had a great postseason as well. Um, so, yeah, unfortunate to, to see him go home, but I, I think he'll get – I agree with you, Paul. I think he'll get a bigger profile heading into next season, and we'll see him featured more alongside Matthews and McDavid. You know, for whatever reason, McKinnon kind of flies under the radar compared to those guys, um, despite the fact that he was a number one overall pick in, in his draft year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the NHL does with that. But I definitely agree. I think they should be uh, featuring Nathan McKinnon in, in the Avalanche a lot more next season. And so that brings us to talk of the conference finals on both sides. And uh, as they began, we are reminding our, our listeners that all the games in this series and the Stanley Cup final are to be played in Edmonton. So the Eastern clubs flew out. Tampa and the Islanders both flew out to Edmonton to get started out there. And uh, we'll get into the first game in a sec, but let's break it down, AJ, in terms of what uh, what we can expect as this series does continue to unfold. Tampa uh, has already come out and said that they will play this series again without their captain, Steven Stamkos, still not available for the third round of these playoffs set versus the Islanders. That has to be a blow that they would have, would have felt at some point but this is a juggernaut club that just continues to to hit on all cylinders and uh, it starts in the nets aj will we'll break down the comparison uh, i'll lead off with a discussion of uh, vasilevsky he's been a he's been a rock for this club for several years but been very steady in this postseason and uh, this is one situation where they're going with one goalie until he breaks down there's no way that they're going to go to a second guy unless this guy gets hurt i think even if he gets a, a five spot thrown up against him in one game I don't expect that to change McElhinney will not get uh, get the starting assignment in any game in this set but on the other side you look at at Varlamov and Grice and uh, they'll flip-flop between the two of them both of them got in the first game and you never like to know that if there's no injury you know that that's a circumstance where they did give up a lot of goals against and they did for sure but uh, these guys are two quality net minders that uh, Together, they don't equal what Vasilevsky means to the, the, the Bolts, but they are very, very good goalies in their own right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and I think, you know, they you, you mentioned that Varlamov had struggled in, in the two games, so they give Game 7 to Grice, which I, I was a little bit surprised at. Um, he responded, but he didn't face a lot of shots, and I, th- I think that's the key point there. You know, you look at, uh, you know, look at last night, he didn't face a lot of shots again, only because he gave up three goals on, on nine shots before getting a hook. Um, but it didn't go any better for Varlamov after he came in. So really uh, a disappointing game all around in between the pipes for, for the, the Islanders there. I would imagine we'll see Varlamov back as the starter 
But again, you consider the fact he gave up five goals on on 25 shots. That's the third straight game in which he's given up four or more goals. So, I mean, you can write off the fact that he came into the game cold, whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. But that's three straight bad performances by him. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Grace goes, but I, I honestly don't know at this point uh, what the best option there is for the Islanders. On the blue line, um, you know, it's a tale of two different teams. Uh, you've got a more defensively sound group in the Islanders right now. Ryan Pollock and Devin Taves lead the way with eight points apiece, um, and it certainly drops off from there. Uh, on the flip side, though, you've got the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are a star-studded blue line. You've got Victor Hedman, who had five points uh, last night. Uh, I'm sorry, three points last night, giving him 12 in the postseason. Kevin Shattenkirk had a trio of assists. He's sitting at nine right now. And even Mikhail Sergachev picked up another assist for five points. So really, you know, you've got the defensively solid group uh, that, you know, wasn't anything like that last night as they got rocked. Uh, as well versus kind of the star-studded, uh, you know, offensive producers. So for for me, I, I have to give the edge here to Tampa uh, in terms of, of the blue line as well. Uh, I I'm going to dispute that a little bit only because I, uh, certainly if you look at the left side of the the Tampa defense, you're talking about Sergachev, Hedman, and McDonough. Very, very steady guys, uh, star power on that side. But you look on the right side, Zach Bogosian was a trade deadline sell-off that that fell into their lap <laughs> they even added Luke Shen uh, from their minor leagues uh, to plug a gap but uh, this guy's bounced around the NHL all over the place and uh, so nothing to write home about there though he did pick up a helper in in the first game of this series and uh, Kevin Shattenkirk much maligned defenseman who uh, fell into their laps in free agency for a cheap, cheap rate. He's, t- he's trying to rehabilitate his career. Eric Zernak, to me, the only guy that's got had the upward trajectory with a fine season there. So there are some some question marks for me on the on the Tampa, Tampa team on the right side of that blue line. Whereas the Islanders, they uh, keep harkening back to this theme, but they looked a lot. They've looked a lot steadier since that tandem of Pelik and Pulik has been reunited. Devin Taves emerging emerging as a, a force uh, in the top four. Andy Green and Nick Letty, two veteran guys here, are relegated to third pairing status, and that's a testament to the the faith that they have in the other guys, including Scott Mayfield, who are getting a little bit more ice time than uh, they did earlier in the season. So the Islanders really rely on that defensive structure, and it begins with that. Uh, sick group of six pack on the blue line there and so top to bottom there they don't have the star power but they are steadier uh, on the defensive side of the puck than Tampa has been this season the Bolts they rely on the high powered offense and that's a nice segue into our our talk about the forward ranks on both clubs here when you look at the Islanders I mean they've sorry the uh, the bolts they have relied on the top six palat point nick kucherov on the top line killorn sorelli and johnson on the second line sorelli uh, is a guy worth mentioning aj this guy is an emerging uh, force in the game i think one of the better two-way centers in hockey and his his stock has been on the rise for a while and so while they miss steven stamkos in this mix they've been able to plug in a lot of players with experience to uh to buoy, buoy the f- uh, force uh, that they throw out on offense uh, in this in these playoffs. Why don't you tell us about the op- opposing lineup that they'll face in the forward ranks? Yeah, you know, you got uh, at the top, you've got Anders Lee, uh, Matthew Barzell, and, and Jordan Everly. Um, but really, offensively, it's been this second group. You know, I again, we, we try and avoid talking about the same guys over and over again, but when they're producing to this level, it's, it's hard to argue against what they're uh, doing here. And that's, you know, Anthony Bolivier, Brock Nelson, and Josh Bailey, who are the guys that continue to lead the way uh, in, in terms of the production here. And so it, the top six is no slouches uh, with the Islanders. Then you've got a guy like Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, who's, you know, unfortunately he's kind of stuck in terms of five on five. He doesn't really have um, some great options to play with right now. It's Leo Komarov and Ross Johnson. Derek Broussard's been in there. Uh, Tom Kuhnackle's gotten a look. But for, you know, Peugeot, at least he's getting, um, you know, getting the time on the power play. And that's really his opportunity to produce. And I, I think it shows in his stats that he doesn't really have any complimentary pieces. He's in a four-game 
pointless streak. Uh, honestly, I think if he was playing with better players, uh, those numbers would be up. But I don't know that you want to break up that top six, uh, you know, that six pack there, um, especially that first line. You're not going to put Matt Barzell on, you know, on a lower line. I, I guess maybe moving him to the wing on one of those groups. But I, I do think he's kind of stuck. And, you know, it's unfortunate that they don't have anybody he can play with. It's it's great that we mentioned some of the depth guys, too. Uh, I'd be remiss in, in not pointing out the third line for Tampa. They added Barkley Gaudreau and Blake Coleman at the deadline, and these guys have uh, surrounded Yanni Gord, who's had five goals in this postseason, AJ, to be more than a serviceable third unit. So the depth on both sides is a testament to what you need to survive this playoff gauntlet. And uh, so it's not just the top six guys. You highlighted on the Islanders or the top six that I highlighted on Tampa. There's some depth guys that have contributed. And then don't forget, they've got the lucky rabbit's foot, Patrick Maroon, who's playing fourth line minutes for Tampa. And he just finds himself on winning teams, it seems, year after year. And and he's playing that up a little bit. I saw a postseason clip where, a recent clip where he was celebrating the fact that uh, he he brings good luck to winning teams. And uh, it's continuing here in Tampa. AJ, the other side of the coin, well, the first game. we got to talk about the first game in this it's this set. An 8-2 shellacking by Tampa. Nobody saw this coming. We've been hinting at this all along in the show. Vasilevsky did his thing with a, only 24 shots against. He gave up two goals, but it was the offense. Braden Point, five points. Kucherov, five points. Gourd with a couple of goals. Hedman, a goal and two helpers. And on and on it went. The Islanders were just overwhelmed. Both their goalies got shelled. Grice, six saves out of nine shots. Varlamov, 20 out of 25. He was pulled. Eberle and Letty getting the goals for them. Lee getting a couple of helpers. But why on earth did, did Tampa, was able, Tampa able to overwhelm the Islanders and their defensive structure? It was just a testament to their offensive depth and quality when they're firing on all cylinders. And uh, I wonder if they'll be able to repeat that kind of a blowout as the series progresses. I mean, I, I don't imagine we're going to see another game quite to that that level of, of, of beatdown, for lack of a better term. <laughs> They've really uh, stomped all over them. Uh, you know, I think Barry Trotz will, will get this group together. Look, you've, you've got a Tampa team that's well-rested um, coming in. They're obviously amped up, ready to play some games. Um, you know, and you've got, the conversely, the Islanders just played a Game 7, went into overtime, you know, then they got to travel to Edmonton, you know, first time they've traveled in over a month, um, (laughs) you know, haven't been isolated in the bubble. So um, I I, I think we'll see plenty of uh, of goals both ways. I I don't think we're going to end up seeing, you know, net minor battles here, but um, I I doubt we'll see a a six goal margin at any point the rest of the way here. Maybe there was a plane, plane advantage, an airplane advantage for one of the teams going into that first game. (laughs) You might be onto something. We'll have to investigate that. But uh, the call that I have on this set, I think the Islanders are going to give the the Bolts a a hassle in this series. I think it's going to go six games. But uh, Tampa is showing me that they are... They're a juggernaut that may not be stopped in this postseason. So that's my call, AJ. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I've, I've been high on the Islanders, you know, all postseason long, and, and I do like everything they're they're doing. But Tampa just looks so good for a team that doesn't have one of their their star players um, in Steven Stamkos here. And so I, I agree, Tampa Bay in six. Uh, the Islanders aren't going to roll over and make this easy, but uh, I, I think they're just outclassed here. And uh, that brings us to a look at the other side, the Western final, which gets underway tonight, AJ. Uh, features Vegas against Dallas. And uh, if you would have told me this, this was going to be the final matchup in the, in the playoffs on the Western Conference side, I would have said, yeah, you can make a case for Vegas for sure. But I don't know how Dallas finally uh, arrived here. I guess the emergence of their offense really was, was a boon to them. We knew that they were one of the defensively strongest defensive teams in the in the whole playoff structure but their offense has risen up to really uh, make them a formidable foe in any round and I think that's going to continue in this one the goalie matchup a compelling one because I think we're going to be able to see no fewer than three of them in this set and you wonder if if Brian Bishop's going to be healthy to be a factor for for Dallas but they've been riding Anton Kudobin uh, who's been a backup for them all season long he's been outstanding in this postseason and really uh, 
the go-to guy in the nets for them. But it's the other side of the coin where it's compelling viewing for me uh, because it's Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard flip-flopping back and forth. Leonard has played more, more of the games, but uh, they turned to Marc-Andre Fleury in the pivotal Game 7 of the last series, and you wonder who's going to start Game 1 of this set. So uh, I, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on that particular matchup. And uh, we saw in Game 1, Fleury was the surprise game's uh, starter in that one, and a one nothing victory by Dallas in that, that outcome. So, But going forward, where, where do you see uh, the goaltending split uh, in, in the Vegas circumstance? Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know what to expect. I, I was surprised a couple times that, that Leonard got the, the nod um, after some, some bad outings uh, along the way. So, it, you know, I, I don't really know what Pete DeBoer is thinking here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would argue that giving up just one goal on 25 shots, that Flurry should be the guy to goal in game two. But um, who knows? Who knows what DeBoer is thinking here? Uh, obviously, he favors Robin Leonard. That I think that part is very clear. Um, that you know, Leonard uh, is the preferred option uh, for Pete DeBoer. So we'll we'll have to see. Um, but for my money, I, I thought Flurry looked good and and should you know get the start here. Um, I'll take us into the defense on on both sides, Paul. You know, starting with uh, I will stick with the Golden Knights for now and, and run through what they look like. Um, you know, they're very similar, um, maybe not quite to the same level, but I would argue they're very similar to Tampa here in that they've got, um, you know, Shea Theodore is kind of their, their leading the way guy. They do have Alec Martinez, uh, then Braden McNabb and Nate Schmidt rounding out the top four. Really some, some quality guys on, on both sides of the, of the puck or, or both sides of the ice in terms of defensemen left right combo here. And I think overall, um, you know, they're, they're probably not on the same level as, as the Dallas, you've got Theodore leading the way for them with 16 points. Uh, six of those have come on the power play. Nate Schmidt's got eight. Martinez has seven. Um, but really it's hard to keep up right now with, with Dallas when it comes to uh, blue line scoring, they just have uh, the, really the the class of the postseason right now in Miro Heiskanen five goals 16 helpers uh John Klingberg no slouch either he's got 13 points for for his work there and and really these are the two guys leading the way for for Dallas um it's it's hard to argue with what those guys are doing on the ice in fact when you look at their overall uh breakdown Klingberg or Heiskanen leads the way he's the top scorer for the entire team and Klingberg's in the top five as well um, so they're producing more from those two guys than some of their <laughs> some of their forwards I like what they've got going so I'm a big fan of the offensive guy with the defensive guy so you got Klingberg with Essel Lindell you got Heiskanen with Jamie Alexiak I mean what better guy to back up, uh, you know, Miro Heiskin and jumping into the play than, you know, the towering six foot eight, six foot nine, whatever he is, Jamie Alexiak. Um, so I, I like everything that Dallas is doing on the blue line. I think I give them the edge here, um, but the Vegas, you know, uh, back, you know, back line here isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, you highlight, I'll highlight them. Shea Theodore, 17 points in the playoffs, just a remarkable run for him. And uh, Nate Schmidt, his uh, running mate, and when you talk about the offense from the defense, that's a really nice one-two punch over there. So both teams really highlighted by two two uh, guys are, who are headliners uh, in the scoring parade. But uh, they're ably supported in Vegas with the addition of a guy who's got a Stanley Cup pedigree in Alec Martinez. And Braden McNabb has been a tower of power in the postseason for the Knights as well. The third pairing, an emerging Zach Whitecloud is bolstering the depth. He's, you know, this is a team when they first got started, they hired, they took on no fewer than about 10 NHL experienced defensemen when in their original expansion draft but White Cloud has risen through the ranks and now he's playing third line minutes and getting a regular turn out there so a possible next emerging contributor in support of the two offensive guys that I mentioned so I think uh, there's a lot to expect from both of these uh, groups in the postseason and I don't I don't see much of a disparity between the one six pack from one six pack to another so I'll call this one even in my in my estimation and uh, we'll see if there's a dividing factor a deciding factor among the forward groups here on these teams and I'll look at we we've got we've talked about the six pack of uh, forwards on the Vegas side 
most of the season, but an interesting turn there uh, considering moving Chandler Stevenson up to a second-line role between Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, a great landing spot for any young pivot, and uh, flipping Paul Stastny down to the third line to get some more depth through the roster. He's partnered with Alex Tuck, who's had an outstanding postseason, and Ryan Reeves, he's been uh, notorious for being in all the scrums, as you would expect him to be, but uh, he's getting third line minutes because he's also got some pretty good mitts around the net, too, and uh, yet to really produce a lot of offense, but uh, certainly getting a regular turn on the third line, he's earned that spot on merit, and uh, we'll wonder about the fourth line contributor. Maybe William Carrier might be another guy to watch Nicholas Roy uh, on the on the fourth line for for Tampa uh, for uh, Vegas as possible contributors into the into this uh, rest of this series on the Dallas side. Uh, why don't you tell us about the depth there and what you expect uh, the the makeup of this group to look like in the postseason in this round? Yeah, I'll just touch on real quick. You know, for for anybody. Um, that's that's looking at you know the single game slate for FanDuel tonight. I, I think Chandler Stevenson offers some some real intrigue yeah. there um, with that assignment. So so that's definitely something to watch. Uh, in terms of the Dallas forwards, you know the the guy that's really been clicking for them uh, along the way here has been uh, Joe Pavelski. Uh, seems to have found, you know, kind of had, a, I would argue, a, a, a disappointing season. You know, it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great in terms of regular season production. 31 points is fine. Uh, it's well off what you would expect for him normally. He's upwards of 60 or 70. In fact, he hasn't put this low of a total since another shortened season back in 2012 and 13 due to the lockout that year. So, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, if I had to pin down why maybe I wasn't high on Dallas heading into the postseason, Joe Pavelski would have been a key in the fact that he hasn't really been producing at, at a high level. Um, that has changed. He's got, you know, 12 points in, in 17 games, leading what is now their, their top line um, as a center position, playing with Radulov and Janmark. Um, they've really shuffled the deck here. So Jamie Benn, right now is on the second line. He's playing with Faxa and Como. You've got Tyler Sagan on the third line with Jason Dickinson and Corey Perry. Um, and then the aforementioned Joel Kivaranta uh, on that fourth line with Rupe Hintz and Dennis Gurianoff. It's, it's a shuffled deck for sure. I, I wonder when, if we'll see Ben Sagan kind of reunited. Um, but I would keep Pavelski and Radulov potentially together. I think those guys can really continue to gel for them uh, and produce some points and help, you know, maybe get them past Vegas. We'll have to see. I think it's an interesting reconfiguration that you point out on the Dallas side in an effort to kind of match the the Knights' uh, star power, uh, which is concentrated on the top two lines, AJ. So uh, that that has led to some tinkering on both sides. You mentioned Chandler, Chandler Stevenson moving up and, and uh, Stastny moving down. Uh, it's like a game of chess. The uh, The stars have made one move and the, and, the, and the Knights are countering with another up front. But uh, star power, I, I give the advantage to to the Knights in this series, but depth-wise, uh, the disparity is not as big as it once was uh, with the Dallas team really emerging as an offensive force in this postseason. And we didn't see much offense in Game 1, AJ. It was a one nothing victory. Well, let's circle back to that for a moment because it was uh, another game where an early goal, I thought, well... Uh, goal at 236 in the first maybe there's going to be a high scoring game but it was the only one on the night and uh, I circled back to the fact that Fleury was a surprise starter uh, in some quarters in game one they went with his experience over over Leonard but uh, I'm sure we're going to see Robin Leonard at some point will it be tonight though that's uh, I'll, I'll lead back to you with that question like I said kind of earlier if I'm coaching the team I I don't make the change i think one goal allowed on 25 shots i think flurry's earned another game here but uh as you are well aware and i'm sure our listeners are, are tired of hearing i am a flurry apologist of course um you know and, and a big fan of his so um i think the bigger concern if i gotta pick one for vegas is jonathan Marchessault. this guy has been complete non-factor uh you know since you know the early series and even against chicago he wasn't great um, but he's on a seven-game goalless streak. His one assist uh, in in that game seven came on an empty net goal at the end of the game, or uh, end of the game. So really, 
hasn't done anything, uh, you know, in, in my book in, in this series and has been downright bad. I mean, for lack of a better way to describe it. So if he doesn't get going, uh, Dallas could potentially make short work of Vegas. I, I really think one of the biggest keys for the Golden Knights getting past this round is to figure out how to get Jonathan Marchessault uh, amped up here. And uh, we have panned uh, the Dallas circumstance, not not really intending to do so, but Anton Kudobin pitched a shutout in Game 1, stopping twenty five all 25 shots that came his way. John Klingberg got the goal, assisted by Ben and Faxa early on, as I mentioned. But Kudobin's situation is an interesting one. He's 34 years old, AJ, playing out the string on, a, on the final year of his contract that paid him $2.5 million. Going into next season at age 35, I wonder how much money he can command in his next deal if he chooses to extend. Even if he chooses to extend his career, there's no reason to think that this is the end of the line for him. But uh, that uh, age is is a factor there, and uh, he he will factor into this whole goaltending carousel that we've touched on repeatedly in in this show. Uh, with uh, Brian Ben Bishop on the sideline. Uh, injured uh they've leaned on him and he's delivered the goods but uh i'll throw it back to you by to get your impression on what do you think is in store for kudobin uh the rest of this series and maybe in the off season can he parlay this performance into another deal and will it be with dallas well look i think if if montreal's kind of setting the tone here right by spending 14 million on on two you know quality net miners um, then by no, you know, by no means should Dallas shy away from that. They've got Ben Bishop on a relatively uh, cost-controlled contract here. He doesn't even make quite to five million dollars a year, so they could easily up Kudobin's salary to three, three and a half, even upwards of four. I mean, honestly, they could pay him five million, pay him more than Bishop, and they'd still be paying less than uh, <laughs> Carey Price earns. So, um, you know, there, there's some leeway there. The concerning part is, as you mentioned, the, the age and what the long-term impact of that means. If you re-sign Kudobin, uh, then you've got Bishop at 34 as your starter, Kudobin at 35 uh, as, as your backup. And so you're really kind of pushing down the road any chances for guys like Colton Point, Jake Ottinger, uh, Ottinger or Landon Bow to really get an opportunity to see NHL-level competition. So um, I guess it depends on how far they get this year, where they think their chances are next year in, in kind of a win-now mode. Um, and, and that'll really be, I think, the, the ultimate deciding factor there. And, I mean, you highlighted, we're looking at the salary cap circumstance in Dallas when we talk about all this, too. And they have quite a bit of cap room uh, with uh, almost $18.5 million available to spend on seven players. But I'll remind our listeners that series of articles that you did highlighted the the, the notion that Denis Gurionov and Rupi Hints are going to hit the pay window hard, and maybe Radek Faxa, another guy that joins them, to take a bite out of that money that that is outstanding, and they're going to have to pay Kudobin too. So they'll use up much of that 62, uh, that gap between 62 and a half and 81 and a half. Uh, at, at their salary cap circumstance in the offseason. It's going to be compelling viewing, folks, when we get this news all over the place. Uh, when, this, when the games die down and the, the signings start to ramp up, uh, it's going to be important to keep a handle on all that uh, to get success in your, in your fantasy hockey planning. But we'll try and help you in the offseason. We won't stop with our, our work even when the, when the games are done. In terms of final thoughts, AJ, I want to salute uh, a couple of players and I'll start off by talking about the Senators forward Bobby Ryan for working to overcome his problem with alcoholism and using his hockey career as a motivating source to write himself. Those efforts were recognized by the hockey community as he was awarded the Bill Masterton Trophy which recognizes the winner for his perseverance and dedication to hockey. In these challenging days that we're all facing, we all need reminders that there are feel-good stories around that should be shared because they can motivate and inspire all of us. I want to congratulate Bobby Ryan for for uh, rising above his demons and really writing himself, and uh, hockey played an important part of that, so uh, it's a reason to celebrate him and this story. I'm, I'm very proud of his efforts and, and happy for him, AJ. Well, you mentioned kind of the challenging days that we find ourselves in here, um, and, and no player has been at the forefront more uh, recently than, than Minnesota's Matt Dumba, and, and I think he also... Uh, deserves our recognition for his commitment to, to racial and social justice and his efforts uh, were recognized by the league as they awarded him the King Clancy Trophy 
the trophy goes to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in their communities. And I think that perfectly fits the bill on Matt Dumba and everything that those guys are trying to do with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Um, and hopefully we're going to see more out of out of the league and, and that that group of players to really push um, for some changes and, and some reforms in, in how hockey culture is approached um, and, and what that means, you know, for for uh, communities uh, that, you know, don't have access to, to hockey or, or coaching hires that don't uh, come from diverse you know backgrounds. AJ, I don't want to sound uh, prejudiced to the sport of hockey, but it's going to come off that way. I've worked in the sports media for over 25 years in the greater Toronto area, and these are just two of many examples of the quality of people in and around hockey that I've met uh, during my travels. And I have to say, hockey players are the best people in sports that I've ever met. I've worked in baseball, I've worked around football and uh, and hockey, and uh, the hockey players are just by and large, so approachable, so easy to get along with and interact with. Uh, I've had more uh, difficulty in the other sports, and uh, so I want to celebrate uh, the sport of hockey here and now and uh, to let our listeners know that there's a lot of good people that, that are in the hockey world, and uh, these are just two great examples uh, of the type of players that I'm talking about. Well, I think it's all that Canadian niceness that rubs off on the rest of us uh, down here in the States and, and throughout the, the rest of the world. But, yeah, I absolutely agree, Paul. I, I love uh, working in hockey and, and my interactions with people in and around the sport have, have almost exclusively been positive. Um, not to say that everything's perfect. There's work to be done in the hockey community um, and, and things that could be better and things that could change. Um, but I think we've got uh, some great guys in, in these two examples that can really re- lead the way. Well said, partner. And a fine place for us to stop. We're going to continue to watch the games in this these two series as they unfold and lead us eventually to the Stanley Cup final. And uh, that wraps up this episode, episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you by PropSwap. Our next episode is going to be next Tuesday. We'll see what the progress report is on these uh, conference finals. But in the interim, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. (laughs) 